Mora conducts physician-led support groups, helping people live healthier, happier lives, free from chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. And on our podcast, Health and Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus, we bring to you nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests to empower and inspire you with their knowledge and stories of plant-based lifestyle so that you can be your healthiest self. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today it's quite an honor to have the president of the ACLM, Dr. Beth Reedes. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me, Lori. I am doing really well today. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. And I'm, um, you know, I'm excited to really dive into your expertise, which is in regards to the education and the kind of the new generation of physicians that are coming and your academic training. But before we get there, tell me a little bit about why you want to become a doctor and why did you, you know, kind of hone in on lifestyle medicine? Yes. So this is a personal story. And it goes way, way back, actually, because I always thought I was going to be a business person, which is interesting because I know that you've done a beautiful job connecting the business of lifestyle medicine and the practice of lifestyle medicine and now the spreading through the podcast. So in me is an entrepreneur. It hasn't had its day yet, but in me (laughs) is an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. My dad's dad started a financial advising company, accounting, and then my dad and his brothers took it over, and I would be the third generation to take it over. And that was always the plan. Mm. I'm the youngest of all pegs. That's my maiden name. And all my cousins were delighted that I loved math and delighted that I was a bookworm, <laughs> delighted that I wanted to work hard and take it over. They didn't mind at all. And they thought this is terrific little bit, which was my nickname instead of Elizabeth. Now I'm called Beth, but they all called me little bit. I was never big, <laughs> but I was, <laughs> I was the youngest of, of, of all the cousins. That's probably where it came from anyway. Oh, little bit's going to take it over. And so sure enough, I go to college and I'm so excited to be an economics major and fulfill my dream of being the president of this company. And then I went to the bookstore at Harvard. It's called, some of you may be familiar with it in Cambridge. And I went and got my economics books for EC10. And I was so excited, want to share it with my dad. Back then, we're talking about 1986 right now. So back Mm. then, we didn't have cell phones. In fact, my dorm phone wasn't even working for some reason. So. So I went out of the coop. I can see myself doing this right now. And I went straight to the payphone. Some of your listeners will remember payphones. Yes. Right. I made the call to New York where my parents live. And I called to express my excitement about these economics books. And I called and said, hello. And my mom said, your father loves you very much. Um. Sure. Yeah, mom, I, I know that one. So I, I, I just want to talk to dad about my books. Dad has had a heart attack and stroke. He's in the hospital. I've been trying to get you. He is paralyzed on the left side. And I said, okay. And my brother was at Boston University at the time. Somehow I was able to call his dorm and he was there. Remember those days you, you, you had to 
call and, and connect or leave a message on the, the answering machine. So we did connect and we drove as quickly as we could to White Plains Hospital where he was, my dad. And this was a life altering event, of course, for him because he was paralyzed on his left side at the age of 52 and for me and for the family. It was a, a life-changing event. And at that time, I became fascinated with the human body. Mm. I always liked biology, but this was, a, this was different. This was a fascination with how did this happen? Why did this happen? And more importantly, how do we prevent this from happening again to dear old dad and, of course, others? But I was focused on that dear old dad at the age of 18. And I will share that we had a primary care that we all went to. Uh, he was family physician, Dr. Moses. And he came in while we were there and he saw us all just, no, none of us knew what to do. I, I believe we were crying. We were certainly stunned in the room. And he said, can we all meet? You know, your dad's gonna need some rest. And he took us out to a, a meeting area and room, a private room where we spoke, the three of us with Dr. Moses. And I'll never forget it. He was amazing and really wonderful explaining what happened and, and whatever I could grasp, I did. But what was most important was that he helped me grasp that I had something I could do to help because we were all so hopeless, helpless at the moment. And he, I don't remember the tasks he gave my mom or my brother, but he went around and said, you all can help and, and, and have a job. But I do know my job was to help my dad with the ball. He had a ball that he was going to need to squeeze and he was going to need to get better with this therapy ball. And so I thought, okay, this is my thing. I'm going to be on the therapy ball. And, and so through a lot of hard work and a year of physical therapy, occupational therapy, dad did make a, a full recovery, except for, and I know you know this, a fine motor movement of that hand. Now I could say that's my fault because I was in charge of the ball, but I know better because I know, I know the stats. So uh, he did really well. And he lived a beautiful 27 years after that heart attack and stroke. And we felt every year was a gift that we had with him. Mm -hmm. So that is actually why I decided to change from economics to biology and psychology co-concentrating uh, in college. Mm -hmm. So did you make that immediately or were you like next semester or you're like, nope, mm -hmm. this is it? Yeah, great question. It was not immediate. It was immediate that my focus and my interest became the heart mm. and the brain and risk factors. Because honestly, I love my dad. Uh, he now has passed away. I, I loved my dad so, so much through all of this. There was a time he was very, very unhealthy. Mm. He only ate fast food. He spent most of his days and nights in the office. 
He would go, go in at six, come home at 11. There may be days I didn't see him. I was living at home, but he worked really, really hard with his brothers and he wanted to keep up the business and he felt like his work was helping people get mortgages and pay for their kids' colleges. And he felt really, really dedicated to the clients. So he wasn't sleeping well. He was not exercising. I love him. He was a little stressed. Some of the responses, reactions to things that were minor were perhaps a little exaggerated or angrier than they needed to be. I don't want to judge, but he seemed to me as a teenage daughter to be very stressed. Mm. And so basically that's five of our pillars. Exercise, none of it. Nutrition, fast food, potato chips, cakes, cookies, ice mm. cream, all through the night. So that sleep was maybe 12 to five, but disrupted. His bedroom was, you had to go past my bedroom to get to the kitchen. It was a small home. I could hear him. I, sl I slept lightly. I, I would hear him at two go to the kitchen. I would hear the clanging of the dishes and the, and the, the ice cream or whatever he may be consuming at the time. Mm. So I was well aware of it. And as I mentioned, the stress. Now, social connection. Yes, he had two kids who loved and adored him, a wife who loved and adored him. But there wasn't really connection in a deep, deep level. And he certainly wasn't sharing himself with his friends, just the brothers and the clients. He wasn't, he had lots of friends. He grew up in Scarsdale, New York. He lived in there his whole life and had many, many friends, but he wasn't connecting with them uh, on any level at this time. So in terms of that, that, that sixth pillar, as we know, is avoidance of risky substances. He, he didn't smoke or, or drink mm. for this, but he was overweight. He had high mm. blood pressure. He didn't have diabetes, but he, he was riddled with disease. He, he hadn't seen Dr. Moses. Oh, I don't, I, I can't say, but for years and years mm -hmm. uh, until this heart attack and stroke. So he went to Pritikin mm -hmm. and watched this, right? So I, I wondered, what's my dad? He's very bright, very academic. And he looked it up and he thought, how do I recover fully and prevent this? So he found Pritikin centers back in, this hmm. must have been 87. And he and my mom, they had the wherewithal to find it, right? It was hard to find it, but if, if you found it, great. And then you needed the finances to fly there, to stay there, to pay for it. So he was lucky in that he had those things. And he and mom learned how to eat healthy about exercise. He started a routine exercise. He actually chose the stationary bicycle. He was on that one half hour, five days a week. He learned about stress reduction and he really took these things home and took them seriously and followed them religiously mm -hmm. for the rest of his life. So I was still economics watching him go through this. And it wasn't until that summer where he was probably, oh, eight, nine months, 10 months into it and really recovering that I, 
I would now be going into my sophomore year of college that I said, I think this is something I want to try. But mind you, I didn't take chemistry. I didn't take physics. I took math and AB calculus and I love numbers. Yeah, I took biology, but I, I wasn't interested in the sciences. I was going to be a businesswoman. So I um, had to go back as a sophomore and take these pre-med courses that a lot of my friends at that time took in their freshman year because they were gung-ho, knew what they wanted to do. And by the way, they all had taken AP chemistry and AP physics before, and I didn't know it. So it seemed very uh, challenging. Mm -hmm. And I have to be honest, I wasn't sure I was up for this challenge. I, 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 I wanted to try, but I remember talking to one of my dear friends saying, who was pre-med saying, but I mean, you're just so smart. I mean, you, you, and, and I remember him saying specifically, like, wait a minute, you're smart too, go for it. And he said, anyway, just try it. And if, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So I signed up for these, these classes before changing major officially, right? <laughs> signed up and did chemistry. I have to say it was, it didn't, it was very easy. I worked hard in my chemistry and my physics to learn it. And, and, and then it, then it came, right? Then I got into it. And so I, I really declared at the end of sophomore year, dad had fully recovered, made this complete lifestyle change, was a different person. You know, he was the same person, but he was more balanced, much less stressed, mm. felt comfortable, it seemed, day to day as before, it, it just felt like he had dis-ease. I'm <laughs> like, mm. uneasiness uh, because of the riddle disease he was carrying, but he just, it was all very uncomfortable. He became much more jovial. My mom would say, this is how he was when I met him. This mm. is how your dad was when I met him. And he would give her a peck on the cheek from behind. And they had this just beautiful, loving relationship. And interestingly, he started drinking one glass of wine and he's that type A. And so he really <laughs> hit all the, in his world back in the eighties, remember this, your family physician. I mean, they were recommending the cardiologist told dad for your health, have a glass of wine. So, so he did do that. As we know now, especially January, 2023 with the Lancet journal saying no amount of alcohol is safe if you're worried about cancer. Mm -hmm. But now even the American Heart Association, if you don't drink, don't start. So dad wouldn't have started if this happened to him in this era. Mm -hmm. It was really that process of watching him go through me, me dabbling in that, right. Trying the chemistry, seeing that I could do it, trying the physics, seeing I could do it and then becoming a candy striper. Do you remember? Candy? I was a candy striper. Yes. As well in high school, <laughs> our local hospital. Bookie. <laughs> Did you have the little apron with the little stripe? <laughs> so for the young people listening, they may not know, but you had we, we may have had a jacket, Lori. I'm not sure. I had an apron. It was like a overall apron thing. An a, apron. It was like, you look like a cooking apron. Yeah, you just put it over you and it had the stripes and the little pockets and went around. And my favorite was uh, actually rocking the babies. So I go into the nursery and just, I love children. And just mm -mm -mm, snuggled and loved. And there were some babies that I was in a 
in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, they were um, babies that had been born to mothers that were drug addicts and stuff. And, you know, that touch and that was just so important for their recovery. So I, that was my favorite. I was like, sign me up anytime. <laughs> but yeah, but yes, yeah, so tell me about your candy stripe. I love it. <laughs> no, no, that's so great. That was a little different experience. So I was at Mass General being a candy striper with some other pre-meds and oh. friends go together on the tea, get ourselves a mass general and then put our stripe. So ours were pink and white and pink and white. Mm -hmm. We, we actually, I mostly transported patients or specimens, actually. That's what I remember in, in Mm. the, but it was that experience that helped me see what the hospital was about, but it wasn't enough because there's no doctors in my family. So I'm thinking I'm going to, change careers entirely when my whole family's entrepreneurial. I I better really know what this is. So what did it for me, Lori, was as I told you, I got very interested in these different risk factors and the stress. Mm. You may have noticed when I talked about it with my dad, it was, I just had this feeling that stress was a major factor for him. So I started looking at the literature and I saw New England Journal of Medicine, Rosansky's article. I remember it so clearly because I printed it out. And um, this was, I think, the end of my sophomore year now. And he had just published the article. And it showed mental stress impacts the heart. And they tested via EKG and thallium scan. So they looked at wall motion abnormalities, ejection fraction, as well as ST segment depression and others. The mental stress in these cardiac patients produce the same abnormalities as their uh, physical stress, their exercise stress when they mm. went in to be evaluated. And I thought, this is incredible. So I printed it out and it was summer. I didn't have a job. I needed a job. I was a waitress, but I also wanted a different job. So I went to the local hospital, New England, uh, it was New York Medical Center, uh, Valhalla, New York Medical Center in Valhalla, not far from where I was from. And I literally just drove up there, went to the lobby, the information booth, had the article. And I just said, "Um, this is a very interesting article. And I am thinking about being pre-med. And do you know a cardiologist I could talk to? Because I'd like to replicate this study and and really try to understand more about. And so fortunately, imagine back then, like whatever it was, it must've been 1988 or something. The nice woman actually led me up the stairs to Dr. Michael K, cardiologist. They're, they're a premier cardiologist there. I did tell her my dad had a heart attack and stroke. I think she felt sad for me. I'm not sure, but, but she was very <laughs> Doesn't nice. Doesn't matter, you got there. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sitting in Michael K's office, no appointment. I'm just sitting, waiting, looking at my article. I, I really hope I get this. And then he has an opening, I, I'm in his office like that day. And I explain myself. I mean, just imagine, imagine a pre-med coming to your office like this. But so he too, I start with the dad and, and he thought this was very, very interesting. The best part is he said, wait, Rosansky, wait, let me see that. And he looked at the article and said, wait, I went to medical school with this guy. Wait, what? I said, I, I, well, let me look. Yeah, I guess it's out here. Yeah, right. You're right. So he said, let's try to replicate that. Yeah, let's do it. 
So that became my summer project. And wow. then my senior thesis. And I was hooked because I got to do the experiment. Well, no, I was the pre-med. So they, they had me be the mental stressor. That was my, my role. So I, I went in and asked people to do serial sevens, which by the way, I failed at. They, I almost lost my job because the very first time I was sent into the room and they said to me, go in and tell the patient to start with a hundred, subtract seven, get the number, subtract seven again, and just keep going. That's the, that's what they told me to do. So I went in the room and I said, oh, hi, I'm Beth Pegg. And we're doing this experiment and it's going to be a bit of mental stress now. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a hundred and they, they just like grabbed me, took me out, said, you can't do mental stress like that. Mental stress, that's niceness. That's compassion and kindness. No, you have to go in there straight face. <laughs> no smile. No, don't you smile. Don't you go in there straight face. Explain. This is the medical research and we are going to do mental stress now that involves serial seven subtractions. Take 100, subtract seven, faster, faster. No, you're wrong, faster, faster. So I learned how to do it. I want to keep my job, uh, but mm. I did find the same thing. And to me, absolutely fascinating mm. that the mental stress could change the EKG like that. So I was just hooked. And then from there, I went to Stanford for medical school and got into the cells. So started to do some bench research on diet, looked at diets rich in L-arginine. So that becomes nitric oxide, as you know. So, so a walnut rich diet versus a saturated fat diet, and then looked mm. at endothelial cell function. And fascinating, of course, the endothelial cells are much healthier in those that had these these were animal studies back then. And so in the animals that had consumed the rich, the diet rich in walnuts and then L-arginine and, and nitric oxide. So uh, I learned that and learned a lot from that. I also learned I didn't want to do that kind of research anymore. So, so, so definitely um, don't participate in that. But brought into my mind the power nutrition, right? This was 1991 or 92 at this time. And I kept telling myself, there's so much here. Everything about stress, nutrition, exercise. Why am I not learning this in medical school? Mind you, I love Stanford. I'm not, it was an amazing medical school, amazing education. I love my faculty, my friends. It was just, it's just a medical education issue that we were not taught back in the nineties about stress, its impact on cells, nutrition, the impact on cells, like I just described. Now we would be talking about the microbiome and many, many things and exercise, what it does to the brain. Granted, we didn't know about BDNF back in the nineties, brain derived neurotrophic factor increases neurogenesis as we know. So wouldn't likely have learned about that, but didn't even learn the cellular mechanisms as to why and how exercise lowers blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So I was convinced that I wanted to do something in this field. And as you know, back then, preventive medicine wasn't about counseling. It was much more about the epidemiology. Back then, we're talking about the, the 90s, right? I graduated in 96. 
And cardiology to me was more about medicines and stents than it was about the, the counseling and, and the prevention. So when I found out about physiatry, physical medicine and rehab, and of course the stroke patients are near and dear to my heart. And in rehab in the old days, you had stays that were three or four weeks. Mm. So the physician was with the same patient for three or four weeks. And I said, this is brilliant. Here's my counseling time. Of course, I learned shortly thereafter that it was a lot of blood pressure medication and a lot of prescribing and getting tests and ordering MRIs. And it wasn't all about the coaching and counseling that I had imagined. But that is then how I got into lifestyle medicine by writing a book about exercise, nutrition, stress, and how that could reduce stroke risk. Mm. And then one of my attendings, Eddie Phillips, who was, um, I was a resident, he was an attending in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehab at Harvard Medical School. He read the book. We were at a department gathering and he said, you're doing lifestyle medicine. That's lifestyle medicine. I said, really? Well, what's that? This is like 2007 or something. And, and, and then I learned what it was and boom, that, that's it. That's my life, my career, my passion, pulling it together, right? As you know, pulling it together into an academic endeavor. So firstly, creating lifestyle medicine interest groups, first one at Harvard in 2008, practicing that six lectures, six pillars, bringing it to the college curriculum at Harvard through the extension school creating an entire college curriculum on lifestyle medicine. This was just a passion. I had to do it. Pre-meds would take it. Some, some practicing physicians took it. This is before we had a lot of the CMEs and a lot of what ACLM can offer now. But it was just a calling. And, and then mm -hmm. sharing that more broadly through ACLM, through the LM 101 curriculum. Now, anyone, if you're interested in teaching lifestyle medicine, you can go to ACLM, type in LM, lifestyle medicine 101 curriculum, and you can pull down 150 slides for 12 modules that all follow and mimic this book. Because my dream was, or is, <laughs> that people can teach it in college, in medical school, and make it easy. There's the PowerPoints. Here's the curriculum. Here you go. And not only that, you probably know this. I have kids. I know you do too. Mm -hmm. And teen, oh, the teen awesome. lifestyle medicine handbook. So we wrote that one. Then we co-authored co this one all through ACLM. All, I get no proceeds from the sales of these books. It goes to ACLM. And then created a teen curriculum so that teenagers in high school and middle school could have the book read the book, either their parent can go through it, pediatrician can use it. There's also the PowerPoints. Mm. What we have done now at this time, 2023, is now we have, as you know, lifestyle medicine residency curriculum. We have residents that are learning about lifestyle medicine. And so I've, I've asked, and the residents at Spalding, PM&R, would you like to teach this lifestyle medicine curriculum to local underserved high school areas mm. and the answer was yes this year we piloted wow residents teaching the charlestown high school students about nutrition 
about physical activity, social connection with Pilot, and it went really, really well. Wow. Enjoyed it. The residents loved being the teacher. Now, mind you, there's this thing. If you're going to teach it, you need to know it, right? So they had to feel comfortable, learn it. But the, the slides are all there, ready to go. So any residents can use this to teach to the community, mm. teach to, you know, to high school students or middle school students or community. You can use LM101 for community. Just pick out the slides you want. Pick out the slides that are appropriate. You can use it for medical school. There's a lot of research studies in there as well. You, you just pick and choose what you'd like for your audience. But, but my, my goal in all this was just to share, just to share everything I know, everything I've learned since, well, 1988. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and just make it as accessible as humanly possible. And, and I, I believe I'll just continue doing this. Someone said, what will you be doing in 20 years? I thought, well, updating the handbook. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh, wow. Wow. That is an amazing journey. And thank you for all your work that you're doing for the next generation. It's just so very important that as we, you know, get into ages where maybe we're not actively practicing or teaching that that next generation picks it up the torch and continues. It's that's fabulous. Um, no, I think the community piece is so intriguing. I had, um, when I got out of the, I was in the air, air force as well as active duty. And when I got out, we lived in Colorado in Western Colorado. And one of my patients who had, we had started using lifestyle medicine and he got better. He actually ran the local food pantry and he goes, could you come and teach classes at our food pantry? And I was like, yes, absolutely. And the community really does love that. We actually started a community garden um, and, you know, they're talking about the foods and bringing them in. And yeah, there's so many places that people don't have access and, you know, that teaching people love to teach and share and be part of someone's change and improvement. It's, that's a great, great element. Oh man. Well, what you did sounds tremendous getting into that food pantry and teaching. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that story. Mm-hmm. I've started doing group visits since you know 2012 through Spalding Lifestyle Medicine group visits where we will review the pillars all together with stroke survivors. I did stroke survivors and caregivers, and you know why. That's mm-hmm. how I started in this endeavor of group visits. And helping these patients to help themselves and give them the tools, it it just feels so good, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. And, and being able to do, we, we do scholarships so that we can have anyone join us. And I think that's such an important part in making lifestyle medicine accessible, uh, affordable. And one of the things that I think you know I've done recently is, is well, we'll try to get this into the lay people through this book paving the path to wellness. Again, I get no proceeds. This is all going to the nonprofit paving wellness. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is trying to bring this to all different communities. And what I, my dream is, my grandparents came from Greece, Basara in the Peloponnese, and they were 18. And they landed in East Boston. And I would, my dream is that I can get into East Boston and be able to do these classes mm. with people who are similar to my grandparents, right? 
they came to this country, they're just trying to make ends meet, and they are maybe not fully uh, aware of, of, of the opportunities at perhaps food pantries, at other farmers markets, or uh, even exercise, even the, the local areas that have beautiful, we have beautiful arboretums, you may not be aware if you just come here and really try to help a community that's struggling mm -hmm. so that they're not struggling and give them the tools of lifestyle medicine to utilize. Because this is, you can use this at any socioeconomic level. You can use the, the practices and principles of lifestyle mm -hmm. medicine using frozen vegetables, frozen fruits. Of course, those are not as good, no, but they are certainly better than French fries. Uh, right and if, yes. you can get, if you can get bulk bulk uh, mm -hmm. barley bulk brown rice uh bulk beans mm -hmm. and you start to cook as a community or a neighborhood and and you're starting to to convene really the way they do in the mediterranean actually mm -hmm. then it becomes a little bit easier mm -hmm. oh absolutely um it's really been interesting because, you know, part of the reason I think I told you before we started is that I started the podcast was because I'm like, how did this patient do this? But then it turned into searching for answers of patients and the obstacles that were keeping them from incorporating more healthy lifestyles. And that is a really interesting point, the cost and, you know, the bulk prices. And so I took it upon myself to make some videos, um, on how to do this for family of four on $10 a day. And if you look at, um, you know, how much is SNAP proceeds per one adult, and it spoke to that specifically, I said, you know, the bigger investment's going to be your spices, but your the bulk foods are very cheap. It's a popper's diet for a reason. But I am I had a question. Do any of your resources have other languages? Because like my daughter, for instance, she, you know, I told her she's at Tufts. So she's in a community hospital. And, you know, she said, mom, there was one day none of my patients spoke English. You know, they're speaking Portuguese, Haitian, Spanish, um, a variety of languages. And so I was just curious what resources you have there for those in those communities. Yeah, that's a great question. And we are talking to people about translating these books that I just shared with you into Portuguese. Oh. Now you also may know Freydis is a Portuguese name. Now I'm not, that. I, it's, um, that's my married name. And so yes, my, my husband and his family have Portuguese uh, as Freydis, but I will share with you in Boston. Yes, there, there, we, we have a lot of different communities, Greek, yeah. Italian, Portuguese. But, and so whenever I would show up at Mass General with the name that Dr. Freydis, people would automatically speak to me in Portuguese. <laughs> I remember feeling so awful because okay. I communicate back and I just really didn't have the time to learn at the, I could learn now actually, but didn't have the time to learn. Uh, but I would always need to, to bring in the translator, but yeah, we have a big, we have a big Portuguese community. So yes, mm. it is in the works. Currently they're translated into Korean. Mm. All these books are in Korean, but we are, we are in, in negotiations. It may have already been contracted. It's actually through the publisher. I don't get involved with that, but the publisher I know is communicating with a lifestyle medicine physician to, to uh, translate into Portuguese. So wow. that is works. I have been trying to find 
someone to translate the books into Spanish uh, here in, in Boston. So uh, if we can get that, that would be really powerful and, and helpful if I could make that uh, dream come true. So I'm going to yeah. continue to work on that. Wow. Okay. That's, that's fantastic. That'll be phenomenal resource. That's so exciting. So, so let's talk to a little bit, cause you're, you know, your academics are incredible for those of us, like, for example, I've been invited to do grand rounds at my uh, medical school, Texas tech in West Texas. So this is ranch country, very different from Boston. Like it's another night and day community, um, but their interest, right? So they're interested in embracing lifestyle medicine. I'll be the first to kind of share this message and um, at least from a, an attending level. And so I'm curious what for folks like myself or maybe others who are in those, in this position to share this message, what resources would you recommend that we could reach and utilize for that that message and really make it impactful for that type of audience. Yes, I would love for you to look at the LM 101 curriculum and look okay. at the intro. You can pull out slides you like right from there. You, if you think you want to go maybe into a little more stress resiliency, then move over to the module for stress and talk and pull out out of the 150 slides there, I think you'll find one or two that you could utilize and, and mm. pop into your, pre, your presentation. So I would say you have 150 times 12. You could probably do that math quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 in, as a open free resource right now that you just can click on uh, at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And for a grand rounds, you may want some of that research material that is shared because mm -hmm. the physicians will likely want that. Mm -hmm. uh, another opportunity to share is a CME from ACLM. You may have heard about this, the Essentials Bundle, which is currently free. And again, you just would go to ACLM, put in Essentials Bundle. This is from the White House conference. I'm, I'm quite sure you've heard of this mm -hmm. and that's a great opportunity to to learn some of the material in a cme uh, course mm -hmm. i would share that if you're going to do a grand rounds and i hear you about your your community we want to bring people in so i like to talk about all the positive aspects of say movement and I get mm -hmm. into the increased dopamine, the increased serotonin. I'll get into the BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, because so many people are concerned about dementia. And then connect it to insulin levels and, and mm -hmm. how we can become more insulin sensitive if we exercise. I try to, with the physicians, bring in pieces that will actually resonate with them Mm -hmm. as well as their patients. So when I was a resident in PM&R, if you know physical medicine and rehab, there's a whole part of it that does sports medicine. And so I was a field hiking lacrosse player in college and I liked the sports and I've always loved running and exercise. So we did this study back in 2000, most highly cited study that I've ever published, <laughs> but you'll see why. We surveyed family physicians 
I wonder if you were in there. No, you were still just a baby. This was in. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're only probably two years older than me so <laughs> so 2000 where you you may also be in residence here so so we, we surveyed family physicians and we asked them do you exercise do you counsel on exercise do you do strength training do you counsel on strength training do you do aerobic training do you counsel on it and and have you read this one by chance do you know this data uh maybe i've certainly I, I know there was a survey of family physicians, but I didn't look at the author. I'm not sure if you were the author or not, but. Well, surprise, surprise. Yeah. Physicians, that exercise, counsel on it. If yeah. you don't strength train in your physician, you don't counsel on strength training. If you do aerobic training in your physician, you counsel. So why I bring this up is when you are doing grand rounds, mm. you have multiple opportunities. This is how I always view it. I'm saying to myself, these physicians, at this point, 2023, they may know about lifestyle medicine. When I was doing this in 2012, 2014, even 2016, a lot of people never heard of it. But likely mm -hmm. your people, well, I don't know where you are. I'm not sure. But so one, I'm introduced. Yeah, you're thinking no. Okay. Not, not in West Texas. I'm, like, I'm not there now. I'm in California. But the, the element, no, it's a new concept. <laughs> so fun. So I always yeah. go, like, this is fun. So I'm going to tell them what it is. I'm going to tell them about this exposure. But, but then I'm going to hook them in with the mm -hmm. science. Because remember, you know this well. I'm not, lifestyle medicine is evidence-based. We are research-driven. I was telling you about the endothelial cells and the effect nitric oxide has on I mean, we are... We are molecular. We, we, we go to the molecule. We are understanding this at a metabolic level. So mm. we share a little, like I said, BDNF. Many of them may not know that exercise increases BDNF. They may not. And mm. that will inspire them, maybe. And mm -hmm. then they share it. It inspires their patients. Mm. So find that thinking about, I'm going to, share the research with you. And I'm thinking in my head, this may inspire you. And then hopefully it's going to inspire your patient. I'm thinking kind of two levels whenever I do a grand rounds. So talking about stress, we know that a lot of patients are stressed. Well, a lot of providers are stressed. So mm -hmm. what does the research show works for this? And then I get 14 different options with the literature under each option, mm -hmm. because you know, you're giving grand rounds. They're expecting, and we have it, the evidence. Mm -hmm. So that those are my thoughts. And I believe when you show the research, you will get buy-in. Then when you show the joy and the fun in this type of living, so mm -hmm. yoga, paddle boarding, paddleboard yoga, what, whatever you can do that, that resonates with them. I don't know, but something, mm -hmm. right. Find something that that's, you know, fun for them. And then you have this joy and then talking about how we could use deep breathing, just that exhalation to turn on the parasympathetic and decrease the stress, seeing that they have tools, simple tools that they could use today, right now, free. Your breath is free. Have it every day. And how do you use it? So hopefully that helps. Does that help you? Mm -hmm. No, I think that's fabulous. I, you know, and the other element that I've certainly seen work with, uh, with discussions with physicians and things is your own 
experienced mm-hmm. either one. I mean, I've been healthy and active and myself. So, but the really fun stories are seeing doctors who were ill transform their lives with life. And say, oh my goodness, they're the biggest advocates or sharing patient stories. You know, um, it, it, it's just amazing when you tell patients, like one of my, one of my patients, you know, lost 350 pounds and that was at the three. She was 509 pounds the first time I ever met her. And it took her four years, but she lost 350 pounds and strictly was through changing diet and movement and um, then incorporating, you know, the stress reduction and really looking at behaviors and being very um, adamant that she was going to change her life. Yeah. So th- those stories are, there's just, those, that's like the normal, right? That's your everyday <laughs> we're not a commercial where it's like you know these are atypical like no this is actually typical but they're still really fun and I and I consider lifestyle medicine the antidote to burnout it really is because it's just it's so phenomenal for the physician but yeah uh, I love what you just said in so many ways one may I may I ask you to consider writing that up as a case yeah it's yeah we could definitely do that she'd love that yeah I think (laughs) be so valuable I did this with a patient same thing. No, no, it's not the same thing. Same topic, but we were just working on a BMI that put this patient in the overweight category um, in this particular case, Mm. running through how lifestyle medicine could help someone who wanted to change and didn't, her thing was she didn't want to buy a whole new wardrobe with her new job. At any rate, you'll, you can hear about it. It's a BMJ case report now. But what, what did we do? It's the same as what you, you did. Um, yours took four years and a lot more work. She had less weight to lose. And, but the, the process was the same, changing the way she ate, changing the way she moved, the way she managed stress, the way she slept. Same, same core lifestyle medicine principles, yeah. different perhaps intensity. Uh, and duration and again, different goal. But yeah. I, I would love to see that as a case study, actually. It was really fascinating. Yeah, because uh, I actually interviewed Nikki on the podcast. And what was really interesting, so I was uh, working with Dr. Joel Furman at that time as his medical mm-hmm. director in Florida. And we had had, uh, it was another startup. <laughs> like a startup thing I just can't walk away from it apparently but uh, for six months and we had investors and then they pulled out that's why the clinic closed but we had people come and stay with us for four and six weeks and so she was uh, literally patient number one January 2017 and what was interesting she stayed with us for four weeks she lost 50 pounds and I never quite understood because I've never been overweight I, I didn't, I mean, I understood there was emotional and taxing stress related to carrying around enormous amounts of weight, but she sat in her car as she was leaving. Cause we were all, you know, excited for, her. and she sat in her car and she buckled her seatbelt and she started crying. And I think it was that moment that it really clicked for me, the emotional impact and just seeing what I took for granted and people take for granted on a daily basis, movement, buckling your seatbelt. These are safety. These are life issues, right? And um, yeah, I just found that phenomenal. Um, it, it, that, that day just stuck with me. Like it just, as hard as this may be sometimes to start a new business and make it available for everyone. <laughs> just got to keep going, Lori. Um, but yeah, that that's, um, yeah, really fun, really fun stuff, but 
That's an incredible story. You've done some really remarkable work and I would love for you to write a book about your experience, but that's after the case study. Let's put a case study done and then I'd love for you to write a book. But I do want to quickly touch on something very important you said, which is lifestyle medicine can help people with burnout. Mm. And interestingly, you say that because well, I've been doing this since 2008, right? In various shapes and forms, looking at the, the group visits and the education. And what's happening now with group visits, guess what? Guess who are my, th- I have three groups, physicians. Physicians, yep, mm-hmm. yep. We certainly looked at um, doing this for physicians as well, because Mora, my current company is based on, we do some one-on-ones, but it's group visits. Um, and I've always wanted, I wanted to call it like green group as it's called heal the healers, right? We just really want to heal those who are really providing all this care. And, um, you know, we're certainly will be, as we create our, 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 uh, business model, um, I think that will be a big piece, um, is helping our, you know, people who are helping everyone else sacrificing I, people don't understand the sacrifices, that physicians, nurses, I mean, they, they hear about it and then they forget about it the next day, but they don't understand the day-to-day grind just to get the education. Um, you know, the cost, um, it's just, they it just, they just don't understand. And that just really, they're not superhumans. And then, yeah, patients get really short with doctors because they're not enough time. And yeah, it's just, uh, I just want to be the advocate for the doctors. It's really important. So, yes. And I think you are, mm-hmm. and you're providing other avenues. You're providing more compassionate, effective avenues for people to practice this lifestyle medicine. And your work has been groundbreaking. And mm-hmm. I am really honored and delighted to have shared this time with you. And thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast, Lori. I really, really appreciate it. It's really fun. As I say, I think a really great podcast would be to interview you. <laughs> you're very kind um but no i i know we went over our 45 minutes but i feel like i could talk to you forever but absolutely thank you so much and maybe if i'm in boston i can come say hi to you i'll i'll be there this summer and again in november <laughs> um but uh yeah absolutely love it oh boston's one of my favorite cities uh, ever other than the cold you guys i i left colorado because of the cold too but <laughs> um but no, this is wonderful. Thank you again for all your work and everything and continue to pioneer ways to, you know, again, education and, you know, taking on responsibilities. I mean, being president of the ACLM, it's, it's, a, it's a big job and it's wonderful that, you know, people like yourself are able to do that. Thanks for watching. And I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go though, please hit the subscribe and alert buttons so you don't miss out on any of the amazing content we're working so hard to provide you. We upload a new episode of Health and Mora with Dr. Lori Marbus every Friday. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find us on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. If you're looking for amazing resources to help you start and sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, or anything wellness, we got you covered there too. Because at Mora, we actually provide physician-led support groups to help people live happier, healthier lives free of metabolic disease. Don't forget to check out our website at mora.com. And thanks again for watching.